I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Mwah. Most illogical. I saw it. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, gallimites, and things to episode 82 of Muppet Trek. I can never say it properly. The name of our show is hard to say. The Muppet Trek Podcast. Thanks so much. I'm Jarman. <laughs> I'm Steve. And we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. What are those, Jarman? Those are, of course, The Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews in The Muppet Show and now Star Trek The Animated Series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show guest Beverly Sills. An animated series episode yesteryear. Heck yeah. But Steve, first, you got to tell us who the heck is this person, Beverly Sills? I had not heard of her before. I yeah, me neither. She looked <laughs> vaguely familiar. Uh, she uh, was, was an American opera singer who uh, was right at sort of the end of the height of her fame at this time. Ah. Um, she was on the cover of Time in 1971. She was declared America's queen of opera. She joined the New York City Metropolitan Opera in 1975, and on her opening night, uh, she received an 18-minute standing ovation. Wow. Uh, Really, she was the first major American opera singer, with most um, directors and um, musicians preferring to work with Italian opera singers, because that was sort of the classic, and she broke that open for American opera singers. And typically the language the operas are in, so it kind of makes sense. A lot, yeah. yeah. Uh, she did a, a bunch of uh, like variety show kind of appearances, Johnny Carson, Merv Griffin, Din- the Dinah Shore show. But what does our audience know her from? Her last stage performance was in 1990. Mm. And she, though she did co-host a full week of The View in 1996 because her and Barbara Walters are best friends, but otherwise, you probably don't know her, is the truth, unless you're into opera. Like, I even searched uh, young Beverly Sills, and still a lot of the pictures that came up were from this episode of The Muppet Show, and she wasn't young in this episode. <laughs> yeah. But what's she up to this week on the show? Well, the backstage plot this week mostly surrounds the fact that Piggy and others are trying to muscle their way into the audition for the big opera number, which is Pigaletto. Oh, yeah. On stage, Kermit introduces Beverly, but he cancels the opening number because Statler and Waldorf say it's weird. Uh, from the balcony, Statler and Waldorf start the show. They perform the song Take 10 Terrific Girls. They then rush backstage, coordinate the dancing girls who flood the stage. Statler and Waldorf join them in these dapper outfits. They tell jokes and Fozzie boos them from the balcony. <laughs> it's very satisfying. Fozzie introduces Beverly Sills. Um, he introduces her by accident as a country singer. Bev Sills, and she makes an adjustment and sings When the Bloom is on the Sage, which is with her own operatic spin, and it's like an old cowboy song. She also gets an opportunity to tap dance. We get a Muppet News flash where the announcer announces that Beverly Sills will sing opera until the cows come home, and then he is run over by cows. Up next, we get maybe the single weirdest performance in the entire Muppet show so far. With two funny, furry little creature faces singing oh. gibberish opera. Oh. After this, we get a science lecture from Sam the Eagle where we look under a microscope where there's Kermit the protozoa and Fozzie the amoeba who tells a terrible joke. We finally get the performance of Pigaletto with excerpts from uh, operas La Triviata, Di, Di Volker, and Rigoletto. 
Uh, Beverly really gets to show her stuff. She's joined by a slew of pigs, including Piggy dresses Cleopatra on a boat. Kermit thanks Beverly Sills one last time. Beverly declines to host again next week. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. <laughs> so, Jarman, you had never heard of Beverly Sills. What did you think of her on this week's episode of the Muppet Show? Well, first, we get uh, if you watch this on Disney Plus, it's one of the few episodes that gets uh, one of those great warnings slapped in the front. Oh, man. Yeah. I had to stop and show Anna. I was like, <laughs> was this bad. might be the single most racist thing we've seen so far. Yeah, basically, they're saying... Uh, we don't want to see a Chinese gorilla come on the stage for the opening numbers. Statler and Waldorf say that. And then a very stereotypically horribly racist version of a Chinese gorilla comes on a stage. A gorilla wearing like a rice hat, speaking gibberish nonsense. Oh, terrible. False Asian dialect. But thankfully, it was kind of like it was secluded to that and not a full number of something racist. I was so afraid. I was like, <laughs> God, don't let the monkey show back up. I know. <laughs> Please don't let the monkey show back up. Um, and this is really petty of me and terrible, but I was very distracted by her teeth, Beverly Sills. If they, whenever yeah. they zoomed on her face, she has like her bottom teeth are just thrown out gang signs. It was bad. Like they were I all didn't even notice. Place. It was I mean, it was a different era back then. Yeah, it distracted me. But her teeth, her top teeth, were okay. So it wasn't all the time. But um, but other than that, she she seemed very personable. She seemed like a lovely singer. She just wasn't that interesting to me, I guess. But yeah, I I agree. She yeah. was lackluster. Now, they did show her off well. She got to Agreed. sing, but outside of her, like a song kind of outside her genre. She got to tap dance, and then she got to really show her stuff. And that's what really saves it, because we, I think we had, I don't know who we talked about last week, but somebody where they didn't utilize the person very well. And this time, yeah. they had costume changes. She showed off different versions of her skills. They did a funny play on that, doing her singing a country song and opera. She did tap. She... Um, was singing, you know, all different kinds of songs with all the pigs. And it's just like they used her as well as they possibly could have for someone who just specializes in opera. Um, so I think the yeah. Muppets did very well with that. Uh, I, I was disappointed in the overall episode. The No strong backstage plot, really. Mm -mm. We get everything is just too long. Like the Statler and Waldorf number opening ever was too long. It was because it's them in the balcony. They do like a whole verse and then they're backstage for what feels like forever. And then they go back out on stage and do a full musical number. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I did like the idea that, that they did a musical number, but you're right. It was pretty long, um, but it was very satisfying seeing Fozzie being able to heckle them. That was good. <laughs> uh, but we don't get any of the regulars. Mm -hmm. like we, don't get, we get Muppet News Flash and that's it. And that is very short. Uh, I just I don't know. This is. Right now, this is the bottom of the season for me. Okay, I, for me, it. I think all of the um, Muppet sketches, even though you're right, they didn't have a through line of any kind. They were I, they were very solid. I felt, um, except for the nightmarish up upside down mouth monster creatures. That, that was <laughs> that was at least I. Yes, they were monstrous and horrifying. <laughs> But it was at least interesting in a morbid way. We're like, that's the one thing I'm going to remember about this oh, yeah. episode. Can you can you identify things. whose beards were each of those? It was one. They only dressed up one guy, and then they did a mirror effect. Are you serious? Oh, wow. Was, okay. I thought it was two different that kinds. Was, no, the beards look very different, though. I'm telling you. Those are both Jerry Nelson. They both sound like Jerry Nelson. Okay. I just I, Maybe he styled his beard differently for the other character, which is smart. They did change the face a little bit, but if you, like, that was, Jerry Nelson was both of them. <laughs> Damn gross beard. Tell you, tell you right now, Jerry Nelson. Both of them. Basically, folks, if you haven't watched it, it's a person. They film it upside down. 
and had the person's face covered in clothes, but the, so the top of their head is the person's beard, so, so it's like hair. Yeah, so the eyeball has ch- uh, the chins has eyeballs on like it. Googly and eyes. The mouth <laughs> is in the mouth, and then under that is like a little face, and they they, they obscure the nose. It's really weird. If I saw that in, a, in a, like a horror movie, I wouldn't be like it wouldn't be out of place. It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, right, yeah, you, for me, it's music- middling episode for me. Okay. Yeah, I just couldn't get on board. Uh, music this week, take 10 terrific girls from the 1968 musical movie, the night they raided Minsky's about an Amish girl that comes to the big city to do religious plays and ends up doing burlesque. Oh, geez. Uh, when the bloom is on the sage, this is a classic cowboy song from the 1930s. Uh, it was from the recording group, the happy chappies, <laughs> uh, happy, Wright, Who wrote the song was also, uh, an actor. And he appeared in Good Times, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and The Twilight Zone. Wow. Muppera, uh, which is the name of that weird thing the two faces say, uh, was by Derek Scott, musical associate, uh, who wrote a, some other... I've talked about him multiple times. He wrote things like Pig Calypso, Sweet Tooth Jam, and Muppet Limbo for okay. other episodes. I remember those. And then finally, we get Pigaletto, which actually is takes excerpts from a bunch of operas. Uh, first one is La Traviata. It's by Giuseppe Verdi, an Italian composer. Uh, he was initially buried privately, and but then his body, body was later moved to a high-profile cemetery in Milan. And during this move, a chorus of more than 800 performed his works, and it's estimated that 300,000 people tried to attend. Wow. Popular guy. Uh, D. Walker from Wagner's Der Rings der Nibelugen. <laughs> I tried. You did a great job. Uh, this musical epic, it's performed across four nights and consists of over 15 hours of performance. Oh, my God. And then finally, Rigoletto, another from Verdi. Uh, this is the dark tale of a hunchback's daughter who falls in love with a seductive and powerful duke. Hmm. Yeah, that 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 old gem. These were really like the so, rock shows of the day. Like they were probably that popular and cool at the time, you know. Like that's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jarman, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Um, it did go a little bit long, but it was very impressive. Which was the Statler and Waldorf burlesque number. Um, they were moving sets around. There was just a lot of Muppets involved, especially the Jander running around like crazy, moving things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was very impressive. It just was involving their whole set moving around and taking form. Uh, I'm going to give it to the weird face. Thanks. Oh, no, because <laughs> it was original. It was distinct and like a train wreck. I couldn't take my eyes away. I will agree with that. I will Mostly agree for that. fear that like the ring, they would emerge from the television <laughs> and murder me. And right behind them will be this damn Muppet like baby things. <laughs> yeah. Bobby Benson's baby bands oh, here for you. Waiting right behind them. <laughs> so, Jarman, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek, the animated series? Well, we have one of the most popular, famous episodes of the animated series, uh, which we'll discuss why later on, but it's called Yesteryear, and this has uh, Kirk and Spock returning from a historical research mission using the Guardian of Forever, which we've seen before in the original series, to travel through time. And by some crazy turn of events, they accidentally changed things so that Spock died as a child, and now no one on the crew recognizes Spock when he comes back because he never really existed in this timeline. And there is an Andorian first officer that's replaced him on the Enterprise. So they figure out in some timey-wimey way that it was actually adult Spock who originally went back in time to save his younger self from a wild animal 
And if he doesn't do that, then and his younger self will die. And he will never have existed. So Spock goes back in time through the uh, Guardian Forever to save himself on Vulcan alone. And Spock does this by assuming the identity of his made-up half-cousin to his family um, named Selick and meets up with his own father in the past and his father, Sarek. And he and his mother, Amanda, allow him to stay with them, thinking he is just one of their cousins. Meanwhile, younger Spock is being told by his father, Sarek, that he must soon face a challenge of sorts that will prove himself to the other Vulcans that he can truly go down the Vulcan path as a half-Vulcan, because up until now they have been teasing him, calling him Earthling and Terran or something like that. Um, and apparently this challenge requires them to go out into the Vulcan desert and stay there and stay alive for a long time. So young Spock decides he's going to go out early and practice in the desert with his pet Salot, which is this big dog-like creature, to test out the challenge before it happens. So Spock follows him because he knows from the data that they saw that he dies in that night. So he follows him and he sees this creature attack them. So Spock saves them from the attacking creature by Vulcan nerve-pinching the creature. But Spock is too late to stop the creature from mortally wounding Spock, young Spock's pet Salot. Um, that did not happen in the original adult Spock's history, but he hopes it's a small enough change to where it won't matter. So young Spock finds a doctor for the Salot, but the doctor tells him that he can't save the Salot, only prolong its life, and he'd be in pain the whole time. And in that moment, young Spock truly takes the Vulcan path by allowing the doctor to let the Salot die, for that is the logical thing to do. And once he gets back home, he tells Sarek everything that happened, and Sarek is proud of young Spock, and thanks adult Spock, or Selick, 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 I can't remember how to say it. Selick? Selick, thank you, like Tom Selick, for saving That's him. how I remembered it. <laughs> and then adult Spock teaches young Spock how to do the Vulcan nerve pinch so he can defend himself from bullies from now on. And then Spock goes back through the Guardian of Forever, and the timeline is returned to normal. And that is what we call yesteryear. So, Steve, what do you think of this episode? Uh, some things I really liked. Great opener, like the no one remembers Spock angle was surprising. Yeah. Uh, we got to see an Andorian. It's been a while. Exciting. <laughs> oh, we get to see a mention of his mother. I like that we got to see so much more background of like Vulcan culture. Yeah, a lot. Uh, we got to see something that they then end up, I think, referencing in Star Trek 2009, which is Spock being picked on. Yep. By his peers and then him fighting back. It was taken like directly from this episode, basically. Uh, what the hell was that huge saber tooth cat thing? That was <laughs> gr- a nice surprise that suddenly there was this beast that that was there. Uh, and we also learned that the Vulcan death pitch pinch works on animals. Apparently, uh, some things I struggled with maybe a little bit. Um, it felt cheesy, like the 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 talking time travel portal was already maybe one of the biggest MacGuffins in all of Star Trek, the original series. So to see it again is like, ah, why don't they just destroy that thing? That seems like a nightmare. Well, something that I wrote too, is I actually said cheesy too, to use the guardian forever, because I thought at the end of that episode, they were like, we have to warn people never to come near this thing. And Starfleet like will not that. allow people to come here because it's too dangerous. Like you could fuck up the entire universe with that thing. So uh, I was really unclear on how, that the time travel caused the kid's death. Like I really didn't understand. They didn't make it very clear, but it seemed to me that you guys were both in the same place at the same time. So the boy had to die. And I was like, wait, what? That I think it comes down to that. This was always supposed to happen. So he was supposed to go back, not be around 
and then therefore he wasn't able to save himself, but that's literally what tells him that he has to go back and save himself. So it's kind of like a weird little time loop thing, if that makes any sense. I guess, but then how is Spock there in the first place? That's the he thing was he, destined to go back and save himself? Exactly. It's like it's a weird loop where he, he always was meant to go in the Guardian forever to not be there so that he'd find out that he has to be there to go back. So that alternate <laughs> universe where Spock doesn't exist only exists for like X amount of time. Yeah. And then it all is destroyed. Exactly. And that Andorian's probably a plumber somewhere <laughs> in this new timeline. Hope she's just doing coke and having sex with weird antenna ladies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rub that in left antenna. That's a sensitive one. Uh, so overall good i don't like this one as much as the last one but we're only two episodes in all right I, i'm surprised but that's fair because uh this is what people, a lot of people's favorite animated series episode but well, i'm saying it's not pinnacle, my favorite then we are in trouble no we're, we're, we're in good shape because if you didn't like this one i think there's a lot of other interesting and weird ones out there that i think you'll be intrigued by because i definitely my okay, favorite good. one's still far to come uh, from this one so yeah i think it's i think it, i liked it a little more than the last one but the last one was also not bad so I think they're all kind of swinging pretty, pretty well so far. All right, you got some trick factoids for I us? I do. So James Dewan or Scotty recorded the lines for Sarek, but they were not used when they found out that Mark Leonard, who originally played Sarek, was available to do the lines. So that was actually Mark Leonard. And the Salot, the saber-toothed bear-like creature that is Spock's pet, was first mentioned in Star Trek original series episode Journey to Babel. And in that episode, Dr. McCoy asked Spock's mother, Amanda, what Spock was like as a child, and then she mentioned that he had that pet salat. The title character's roar from Godzilla, so Godzilla's roar, is used for that creature that attacks them, the Lay Matla is what it's called. And I was like, holy crap, I did recognize that sound. (laughs) It's like 1954 Godzilla roar. They use the exact same sound. Uh, This cartoon's view of Spock's hometown, Shakar, has been added to the background in the remastered version, which we watched, of the original series episode, A Mock Time. So that same background they used in the remastered version, because they could be like, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. And although Gene Roddenberry declared the animated series to be non-canonical, many of the details of Vulcan's appearance and culture would be adapted into later Vulcan-centric episodes of Star Trek Enterprise and uh, other Trek productions. And the story also includes a direct reference to the most popular original series episode, The City on the Edge of Forever, which is the one written by Harlan Ellison, or he goes back in time with the, the lady from the 40s or whatever it was. Uh, and as you mentioned, Spock's bullying at the hands of other Vulcan children was shown in the Star Trek 2009, um, which was, mm-hmm. comes to this episode. The visual design of Spock's pet Salat was directly modeled on fan art that was done by fantasy artist Alicia Austin in the off-air ears. Like, so in between the original series and this she made this fan art of a creature that could have been from Vulcan, and they used it for this his pets a lot. Uh, Jane Wyatt, who played Spock's mother, Amanda Grayson, in the original series, um, she didn't return for this episode. And Amanda was instead voiced by Majel Barrett, who we know as um, Nurse Chapel, mm-hmm. and the voice of the computer. And she's a very recognizable voice. But uh, Jane Wyatt did return to play the same role as Amanda in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, or otherwise known as The Whale Movie. No, oh, I love the whale movie. <laughs> and the last one, uh, DC Fontana, one of the writers of Star Trek, she's a great chick, uh, included the death of Spock's pet as a way of helping children deal with the death of their pets. 
And NBC wanted the pet's death removed from the script, but Fontana refused. And then Gene Roddenberry supported her in that idea, so they kept it in. And it kind of like, you know, makes kids come to terms with the fact your pets will die sometimes. So, Steve, what are some uh, Trek connection Muppet connections this week? I heard it was really easy to find them. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just fell into my lap. <laughs> uh, there was a book published in 2005 called Stars of David, a series of interviews and storytelling with Jewish celebrities about the Jewish experience in America. Featured in this book were both Leonard Nimoy and Beverly Sills. Oh, wow. Uh, and I found an, an interesting article about a New York socialite who bought an Upper West Side New York City apartment. Uh, it was a famous building, which had been home to many celebrities over the years, including Beverly Sills and Leonard Niboy. Wow, so they even lived in the same building at one point. That's may, maybe not simultaneously. Right, but, but still, that's a crazy uh, coincidence. And in 1982, there was a televised special all-star party for Carol Burnett. Appearing in this series was Lucille Ball who was responsible for saving Star Trek, the original series, after the first pilot bombed. That is true. Well, look at that. Desilu Studios saved it. Yep. <laughs> and it's a good thing because they give us episodes like this that are just identical to The Muppet Show. You know? I mean, so they both came from Lucio Ball. I understand. They're yeah, the same thing. it's the same thing. I mean, both episodes have a racist moment. Uh, one when the Chinese gorilla <laughs> comes out on The Muppets, and then when the full-blood Vulcans make fun of Spock for being only half Vulcan. That's legit. Yeah, Both feature animal attacks, mm. Spock and the green cat thing, and the news anchor being run over by cows. <laughs> I have a similar one because both episodes have killers that uh, have creatures that will kill you and give you nightmares, and that is the Lamatla creature that attacks young Spock and his pet, and the Fuzz Brothers, which is what they're called from the Muppet Show. <laughs> Those terrifying monster creatures made of human beards. Uh, both feature fake pseudoscience. Sam and the microscope microscope amoeba things and time travel through a talking portal. That is totally fair. Yes. Oh, Oh my God. Transporter malfunction. All right. It's the part of the show where you take one character from one episode and transport them over to the other and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? Muppets to Trek this week. I'm going to bring over that creepy upside down face thing (laughs) and replace the green attack cat. It would be far more frightening for Spock to be attacked by one of those. Yes, it would. <laughs> so weird. Uh, I don't know Star where Trek. to pinch it. <laughs> I don't want to touch it. Um, I have Beverly Sills trade places with the Lamotla, the same green creature. So <laughs> <laughs> she could just belt out opera noises instead of roaring noises. And it'll be a monstrosity with an animated body, but her actual real head. So it's not her head's not animated. It, it would have to be that way. It's terrifying. Uh, Trek to Muppets. I'm going to bring over the green saber cat to attack the news anchor. <laughs> Instead of the cows. So you just hear Godzilla's roar and then he just attacks him viciously. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Star Trek to Muppets. I have uh, young Spock is going to take the place of Miss Piggy. He'd be trying to prove himself Ooh. to Beverly Sills to be in her last number like he was trying to prove himself as a Vulcan. And now in this timeline, he embraces his human side and he becomes a career performer. That there happens. we go. We found it. <laughs> we found it. So that brings us to the end of episode 82 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Kenny Rogers. And animated series episode, One of Our Planets is Missing. <laughs> so from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>